How you doing, folks? Welcome back to yet another episode of In Defense of Liberation, the show that is working towards and educating about a true people's liberation movement and one day soon a true proletarian revolution. If you want to know what that means and if you want to know how to do something about that yourself, stick around and let me know what you think of the show. Uh, Anyways, I am your host, Josh. And uh, I hope that <clears throat> you will find this uh, episode any, any sort of educational and entertaining. And I hope also that you will take the information that I put forward uh, and analyze it for yourself. Think about it. Churn over it. Decide whether or not it seems to make sense. And if at any point you have any questions, any comments, critiques, criticisms or concerns that you want to send my way, please feel free to do so. You can email me at indefensiveliberation at gmail.com with uh, no caps or spaces in that. Or you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and Twitter at indefensiveliberation. Today I want to talk about the situation that many of us are finding ourselves in here in uh, the United States when it comes to uh, complete and utter depoliticization, alienation, disorganization, etc. And I also want to talk about some movements, some grassroots movements that are taking place uh, and talk about, uh, you know, kind of the inspiration, the teachings, the Uh, lessons that we need to take forward in uh, order to really be able to attack the problems that many of us are facing head on. Um, So I think a lot of us recognize that there really isn't a party that exists that is putting forward the interests of the average working class people, especially non-working working class people, who are desperate for any kind of relief, any kind of respite from the uh, hyper-individualistic, hyper-profiteering system that we know as capitalism and consumerism, as well as just kind of a break from the general stress, trauma, and terror that we all kind of face every single day as the pandemic looms over us, as ongoing conflicts are engaged in here in the United States and also all over the world, as workers are going on strike, jobs are firing mass, uh, you know, uh, firing of striking workers, as people are getting removed or about to be removed from their homes as student loan debt uh, has yet again recycled for another few months. We have a lot of questions that we're asking ourselves and not a lot of information, not a lot of help, not a lot of support in answering those questions seems to be coming from either the Republican nor the Democratic Party. I'd like to take a moment to speak about the notion that the Democratic and Republican parties are uh, indifferent. They are, in fact, two sides to the same coin, what we might call a duopoly or what has been coined the capitalist party. The capitalist party, as we know, has been split into two factions, the Democrats and the Republicans. 
But as we also know by looking at the bills that are passed or are not passed, if we look at the deals, the trade agreements, and the compromises that either group makes with one another, and if we also really keenly uh, focus in on the fact that it seems to only be Democrats or Republicans who are in these positions of power, who are able to be the dominant force of control over our military budget, over our resources, over the continued oppression and exploitation of those within this nation and also outside of it. They are the ones who are continuously building up our armament to lead us to a third international war. They are the ones who are fanning fanning the flames against Russia, against China, against Iran, against any country that, you know, really dares to uh, not bow down and cowtail to the interests and the wants of the capitalists and the bourgeoisie within the West and within the U.S. empire. But uh, it is clear that uh, neither the Democrat nor the Republican parties have anything that they intend to do to ultimately and structurally change that system. The Democrats and Republicans, as we know, put forward programs, put forward policy, put forward rhetoric and lip service to things such as student loan forgiveness without actually investigating the reason as to why anyone could ever accrue such student loan debt. They offer uh, minute and temporary solutions to things like police uh, brutality, mass incarceration. They speak on things like the want to keep families together, especially when speaking about military, military families. Yet this very same nation cares not a damn about the families that they are separating and destroying in West Asia, also known as the Middle East. They do not care about the families that they are destroying in the Horn of Africa after sending National Guards to support uh, the TPLF and others uh, within Ethiopia and Eritrea. Uh, This, you know, capitalist system cared nothing about families when it organized the nuclear family within its very own system to be the male dominant patriarch that has the domestic slaves of a wife and children. Um, This, you know, particular system cared nothing about the families that it continues to separate at the border. Uh, It cares nothing about the families that it continues to leave unhoused and unfed. It cares nothing about the families who are losing loved ones throughout this pandemic as the official White House government website puts out a striking, striking phrase saying, and for the vaccinated, this holiday season will be filled with deaths and hospital visits. Now, again... Democratic Party is supposedly the woke progressive side of the capitalist party faction. However, the Democrats are in dominant form in the Senate, 
in the House and in the presidency. And yet, what have they done since they took office, since they took control, that has been any different than, say, Trump's response to the pandemic? Or any different than Trump's focus on Cuba as a, quote, harbor of domestic terrorists? What, what happened to the campaign Biden? Oh, yeah, I forgot, as many of us did, which is the fact that, as it stands, the political nature of the bourgeoisie is one of a popularity contest. And so, therefore, because we have ultimately no understanding, a complete depoliticization from the, uh, you know, working class to its very core, it's very difficult to expect that, you know, the average person wouldn't get swept up in words, that the average person wouldn't get confused and ultimately caught in this scheme between Democrat and Republican. And so to see something as blatant as this, you know, note on the White House's website that tells the unvaccinated people that for them the situation is death, it shows me two things. One, that eugenics has never died in this country and that the foundational, you know, prerequisite to American patriotism and nationalism is white supremacy and a belief that the superiority of certain persons uh, predicates the uh, natural want and ability for others, unlike these people, to simply die. And this has no effect on anyone. This is the average mentality that seems to be kept within the United States. The second thing that it makes me keenly aware of is the fact that folks also don't understand that vaccines in and of themselves are not a solution to a global pandemic when less than 5% of one of the largest continents on the world, Africa, has one dose of vaccine. When less than half of our prison population in the United States, some two to five million people in total, have less than one vaccine, if not Uh, None at all, you know, and the situation is quite clear that the capitalist state, the party that represents also the wants and needs of the bourgeoisie, all of this is consolidating itself, not only uh, with the private uh, propertied and capitaled Uh, folks within society, but also with the international ruling class community. This is what we saw at COP26. This is what we saw at the Summit for Democracy. These are two ultimately uh, bourgeois tactics to distract, to divest from revolutionary energy, and to get caught up in this scheme that one of the most undemocratic nations in the world, the United States of America, which has active slaves, which have just been reported in Georgia, which has active enslavement of cheap laborers, of immigrants, of uh, uh, non-citizens, of exploited and oppressed people, in a nation which was built on the genocide of indigenous land, people, water, animals, etc., 
and the absolute uh, enslavement of an entire race of other people uh, from their home, brought over here in shackles and forced to work. Uh, The system that was built, the society that developed out of this, of course, is no different than the one that really began as this. And uh, in a lot of cases, I would consider it worse in the sense that it has been able to develop subterfuges, it has been able to build up its political capacity, it has been able to develop social uh, constructs as well as economic uh, bases to be able to uh, support the status quo and keep it in place. Um, All of this seems to be much more dangerous than a system that is in your face that cannot be misconstrued, that cannot be misunderstood, and cannot be misrepresented. A nation such as the United States and other Western democracies, capitalist democracies, are democracies for the bourgeoisie. They are democracies for the money bags, for the money lenders, for the capitalists, for the big banks, for the corporations, for the oil executives, for the CEOs, the board of directors, the uh, superintendents, the government officials, etc. This is a system that is built for the wealthy and powerful few to be able to use that system to rule over the exploited and oppressed majority. This is what we call the state. The state as it exists under the capitalist system is one that is developed as a tool to oppress one class by the other class. Now, of course, as we know in this capitalist system, it is surely not the working class that is leading towards the oppression of the ruling class so as to put itself into power. It is, in fact, the ruling class which has been able to maintain hegemony, been able to maintain control, been able to maintain power over the masses of people of the world through multiple different uh, avenues, including but not limited to physical violence, militarism, imperialism, sanctions, uh, hybrid warfare, propaganda, uh, the sex trade, slavery, etc. The amount of power that uh, sits in the hands of the uh, less than 3,000 wealthy, powerful 1% that owns just about everything that we require as a global uh, you know, society to continue going as we do. All of that is there because it has been taken from us, because we have been convinced that we can't hold it ourselves, because it has been stolen off of the back of our labor, from the fruits of our labor, and ultimately the only thing that's going to change that is the working people themselves coming together, organizing themselves, learning about the situation as it exists today, and taking control from out from under the ruling class and overthrowing the capitalist system as a uh, dictatorship of the bourgeoisie and placing instead in power the dictatorship of the proletariat. And so all of this is nice to know. All of this is important to point out, but it is far more important to understand the experience, to understand the situation, and to understand the history that will allow us to be able to take full stock of the situation as it exists today, to be able to gain tactical and strategical knowledge in a way that cannot be uh, necessarily uh, tamped down, to be able to avoid distraction, diversion, and division, to be able to uh, understand the contradictions that exist among the working people as well, and how to bridge over those gaps to how 
uh, learning how to connect the masses of people, learning how to build solidarity, learning how to actually grow our numbers and develop ourselves into a force that is willing to do more than just simply vie for uh, temporary and individual economic or social gains. Uh, We need a party, an organization which is willing to fight for control being placed into the hands of the most uh, you know, uh, proletarian, the most, uh, advanced, uh, members of the working class into positions of guidership, into positions of the, uh, vanguard in order to help, uh, tamp, or excuse me, in order to help fan and, uh, help grow the flame of resistance in this nation and across the world into something that can be more than just uh, you know, uh, disconnected demonstrations into something that can be more than elections of social democrats, which can be more than, uh, you know, temporary gains. All of this is uh, only capable of being accomplished through the mass organization of a movement which is leading towards proletarian revolution. Um, all of this must be clearly understood. Now, I've said a lot and I have much more to say, but I want to kind of draw us back a little bit and talk about the situation we find ourselves in here in the United States. So some like key points that are up, you know, top. First and foremost, the Biden administration, again, just like the Barack Obama administration, got in on its word. It is not staying true to that word. It is continuing its terrorism of the global south. It is continuing its armament of Saudi Arabia, of Israel, and of other uh, colonial states, of other imperialist states. It is continuing its capitalist exploitation of the workers, not only within this nation, but also across the world for the benefit of those within this nation to be able to be distracted from their own oppression and to be awfully uh, distracted from the exploitation of those who made the products which we are using to distract ourselves from our own oppression. Uh, We also, you know, obviously are seeing an intensification in... uh, this uh, uptick towards what seems to be militarism, although some people aren't necessarily uh, seeing it as such, uh, due to, for example, our removal of ourselves from Afghanistan in some cases. Uh, But we must understand that this removal of forces was, uh, you know, in a lot of cases, almost uh, self-defeating in the sense that a lot of our contracts shifted over to Pakistan which is a uh, surrounding nation state, which we can then continue our warfare from within. We also kept a lot of our military contractors and uh, less, you know, distinguished military officials over there. I'm sure we have intelligence agents in Afghanistan. I'm sure that we have a vast network of um, paid puppets, which are, you know, uh, attempting to play the role of Uh, colonizer and imperialist themselves uh, for the benefit of the uh, Western nations. We also know that with the uh, uh, removal of forces from uh, Afghanistan, we also saw an increase in the U.S. military budget of more than $20 billion. Um, And so... In this sense, it seems that the uh, decrease in military power 
within certain regions does not ultimately and necessarily lead to the decrease in militarism generally. The United States military is what builds the economy because the United States military is an ongoing pillaging system which pays military contracting companies to go across the country and set up bases, set up areas where resources are able to be extracted, labor forces are able to be exploited, where, uh, you know, warfare can be capitalized on in an actual monetary profit-based form. And uh, all of this, of course, leads back to not a replenishing of the tax dollars that are used to pay these military contracting firms, but in fact, the funds and the resources, the contracts and the connections that come from the ongoing warfare that the U.S. empire is engaged in all over the world goes directly into the hands of the ruling class elites who are signing those contracts, who are in those positions of power, who are running those election campaigns, and who are ultimately going unnamed and unknown by the majority of the people within the United States empire and outside of it. Um, Anthony Blinken did an interview at the Summit for Democracy that my homie Ramiro Sebastian Foynias put up on his channel, Unmasking Imperialism. Please go check that out. His most recent episode with uh, our comrade Mercedes and uh, uh, another comrade whose name unfortunately slips my mind about the uh, capitalist democracy myth. Uh, That was really, really good. And I think that um, if you can, you should go check that out. I wanted to shout that out because the homies shouted me out right in the beginning of that episode, so that was dope. Thank you, guys. Hope to be able to get you both on sometime soon. All three of you, really, if, if I could, uh, to talk about the idea of the uh, democratic myth a little bit more in depth. But um, as it stands right now, we know that democracy under capitalism is a rouge and ultimately is the ruse that is used for the... Uh, powerful and wealthy elites to uh, maintain more power and more dominance over markets, resources, labor, etc., not only in their uh, individual regions or places of power, but also across the nation and across the world. The issue seems to be this. Um, Unfortunately, and I say it that way because, you know... (laughs) Really, that's the only attitude you can have at the moment. Unfortunately, the government that we have here on Turtle Island is one that is made up of a consolidation of ruling class elites who are all aligned on the very least in their want to continue to have the power, the wealth, and the control that they do now. In this sense, there are contradictions among the ruling class which need to be capitalized on. We need to be able to see the difference between the big bourgeoisie and others within the uh, ruling class elites. We have to be able to see the difference between them in order to capitalize it. We have to be able to point out the difference between this or that Democratic or Republican program. Only insofar as to be able to show how one leads to one reality and one leads to another. But we cannot, in this sense, focus on these issues as a principle in stating that the Democrats and the Republicans are different on principle. They are different on tactics. 
their interests are not entirely aligned on every point. However, they are aligned on the point of power. And so at the end of the day, even if one side has to capitulate to the other a little bit, they're going to do it. Because eventually, if they don't, if they continue fighting, if they continue going after one another and having uh, you know, any kind of contradictory interests, that can serve as an opportunity for us to pounce on. And that's why we have to be paying attention to what's happening. We have to be focusing on understanding who it is that actually holds the power, where they are, what they do, what they look like, what their name is, <laughs> what their address is, if possible, if it's legal information that the U.S. government would be so kind as to hand over uh, or whatever, you know, government that they happen to exist under. You know, some of these oil companies, uh, military contracting places, they have headquarters. They have, uh, you know, buildings. So, you know, understanding this and understanding what their interests are, understanding how we can take advantage of that, understanding how to point that out to the masses of people. All of that is important if we want to actually succeed at capitalizing on those contradictions that do exist among the ruling class. But again, back to the point of saying, unfortunately, we have a government that's consolidated and and basically prepared for a lot of this. At the current moment, we don't really have a force or a power structure uh, that is kind of uh, organized and militant to a point where it seems to be capable of forming itself into a conscious opposition which can rid us of our current oppression, or at least our current oppressors. Um, obviously, this is a difficult task, and I'm not saying that you know any one group or any one people is at fault, but I do think that it is important that we recognize, uh, as it stands, the lack of a nationally recognized party or organization that has, you know, a household name that has uh, funds, that has organizational uh, structure, that has, uh, you know, uh, the numbers, that has the experience and the capability needed to do really everything it is that we need such an organization or a party to do. Now, in my mind, with my understanding, I would say that the closest group to something like this is the Party for Socialism and Liberation. But I also know that quite a few people, as we've discussed before, have some issues with the PSL. And I can't say that they're, un- they're all unfounded, because I don't know all of them, you know, all of the issues that folks have. But I do know that, unfortunately, um, we kind of run up against a wall when it comes to you know, especially socialist and and 
uh, communist organizations because unless you're in the party, a lot of the information you're going to get about it, unless it's also coming from someone that's in the party, a lot of the information you're going to get about the party is going to be incorrect. It's going to be false, at least on the grounding that like the people who often write about these things or often, you know, have experiences with these things are folks who have no previous relationship with any members or any people within the PSL and have no relationship with the party themselves. And so because of that, um, we uh, often see a uh, disconnect from the party and the masses outside of it. So, you know, there's been some serious allegations about sexual assault. There's been some serious allegations about trans misogyny, about uh, sexual uh, or yeah, trans misogyny, sexual assault and and racism as well uh, within different uh, chapters of the PSL. And I don't think that anyone can sit here and say that that's unimportant. I don't think anybody can sit here and say that we need to just ignore that and move on or that that doesn't matter or that it doesn't shine any light on the PSL or on, you know, especially the PSL members who participated in this and uh, the PSL uh, chapters where this was allowed to be, you know, uh, discovered and, and held behind closed doors. Um, but I don't think that it is accurate to then also turn it around and say that this shows us that nobody should join uh, the PSL or this shows us that the PSL is useless and we have to just, you know, wait around for something better to come. Um, I think for a lot of people right now, the PSL is the only option that they have at organizing within a party that A, has national recognition, B, has, you know, the numbers, C, seems to have, uh, you know, although I haven't been able to go through their entire constitution, seems to have a decent enough line on imperialism, seems to have a good line on, you know, uh, the continued oppression of exploited and oppressed people here within the United States. Uh, I'm wanting to see them more in action. And I think the only thing that's going to be able to get myself or anyone else that close enough to really know what's going on is joining the party or actively participating in actions which they are participating in and really seeing how they act, how they operate. But I think that, again, from the perspective of outside of the party, it's difficult to really know the ins and outs. You know, because if you look back at the history of, say, the CPUSA or the Socialist Party or any of the other mass organizations like the IWW, the AFL, the CIO other, you know, unions, etc. A lot of this history was actively being misconstrued as it was happening. The ruling class was perfectly capable of, 
you know, lying about what these parties were doing, about lying about individual members within the party. The United States and, you know, the ruling class capitalist infrastructure has absolutely no interest whatsoever in putting out accurate information about communist organizations. So if you're reading about the PSL, I, I, you know, or really any organization that exists in the United States that calls itself socialist or communist, I would implore you to, you know, for as much as you'll read about the PSL or, you know, again, any other organization, I would implore you to read as much from the PSL and to actually possibly, you know, like I said, really comprehend these things at a level that is not just taking information that's placed in front of you and just running with it. Because, you know, there was a a recent example of this online where some individuals were going at it, some, you know, organizers and social media activists. And it comes out that, you know, the original storyline, oh, look at that. It was a lie. It was, you know, a misconstrued misinformation and use of other people's experiences for the benefit and self-interest of one individual themselves. This has happened time and time again. This has happened within the Black Panther Party. This has happened within the Young Lords. This has happened within the CPUSA. Because individuals have individual interests that are based on their class, character, and allegiance. If somebody, such as the person who went rat, ended up turning on Fred Hampton and becoming an informant and getting uh, uh, Chairman Fred killed, um, they did that because they had a certain class character that they were willing to collaborate with. They had a petty bourgeois nature to them that is ultimately instilled in every single one of us who live within these hyper-capitalistic nations because in doing so, it leads us towards habits which uphold the capitalist system without being capitalists ourselves. Lenin says it in one of his works, I want to say it was um, left-wing communism. Yes. Yes, that is what it is. It's in left-wing communism where Lenin basically says the force of habit of millions and tens of millions is quite the, uh, the, the, what does he call it? Anyways, it's basically quite difficult to lead a socialist revolution, right? When the average millions of people within that society have been doing capitalism their whole lives and so therefore have no understanding, no real material interest at the moment that they are aware of to fight that habit, to go against that grain. And so instead, they'll go against the socialists. They'll call out the socialists for being authoritarian, for telling them what to do, as if the capitalists aren't doing that to you right now and you're loving every second of it. It's Christmas season! 
go into the mall and spend all of your hard-earned money on your loved ones because that's the only way they'll know how you love them is if you spend all of your money on them. So go, go do it. Go into the malls. Come on, guys. What do you mean this is a an authoritarian, you know, what, what are you talking about? This is freedom. This is what freedom is, being able to go into the mall and wait in line for hours to spend on overpriced commodities, which will break in a period of time that is, you know, absolutely ridiculous in the middle of a pandemic where you got, you know, a hundred people in your store waiting right next to you so that you can catch the new variant so that this holiday season grandma can die, right? That's not authoritarian at all. That's not your government telling you what to do at all. That's not the system telling you how to live your life at all. No, not at all, my friends. Definitely not. Because unfortunately, here's the thing. When we're talking about information, when we're talking about propaganda, when we're talking about trying to understand something like a communist party or a socialist party from outside that party, it's difficult. It's difficult because we don't have the knowledge and experience that we require to be able to take full stock of that situation. And that is why Lenin says, and plenty of others say, that we need an organization that is able to send people out into every single sector of society to lead the broadest and most strong and most interconnected and interwoven struggle between the different strata, different classes, different members of different classes across all of society. If we want to do something like that, we can't just read an article about this or that organization and say, I refuse to join that organization on principle because this individual or these individuals did these things from within that organization. Now, I'm not saying that it's our you know, job to go into every formerly revolutionary organization and re-revolutionize it. But what I am saying is that if that is the way that you take these things, if you're thinking about organizing and the way that you're organizing is you're reading articles about those organizations that are posted on the Wall Street Journal, that are posted on, you know, the, the daily news or whatever, then you're going to find misinformation. You're going to find bias and propaganda and information being used to divide you from the working people within that party and also the ones you could organize from within that party because otherwise trying to organize by yourself without an apparatus to do so without comrades to support you without funds to lead your efforts without connections to build up your forces you're not going to be able to do anything in comparison to what you'd be able to do from within a true communist party but a communist party cannot just simply be one of opposition. Like, when we're talking about the fact we don't have a party of opposition in the United States, what I mean is we don't have a party that accurately points out everything that the ruling class is doing in a way that actually aligns with the class interests of the masses of people themselves. They might point out what this or that individual within the ruling class is doing wrong so as to push for their own ruling class interests. But the parties that exist today are very incapable of actually giving the masses of people the information, the education, the support, and the actual you know, uh, conscious 
and uh, consciousness needed to lead that struggle. We need a party apparatus like this, and we need to start building them now. Because most likely what's going to happen is these parties are going to form organically in some sense at a local level. Because you can't start a party at a national level. You can't start a party that has millions of chapters all across the world. You just can't do that. You have to start it at the same place you'd start anything else, which is at the level which you have capability of doing something. So usually individual level. But that individual level needs to be building up towards a collective. It needs to be building a collective, which is trying to build a larger society of collectives. Excuse me while I take a sip of water here. We have to have a party which is able to see the vacillations between different classes to be able to see the interests as they exist for the different members of different classes and be able to put them squarely on their face in front of the people in a way that is going to show them that the only thing that is going to change the world that we live in today is each and every one of us involving ourselves in the struggle to do just that. So anyways, if you're still listening to this episode, I think that this is kind of where I'm going to cut it. Uh, I don't really think I'm even going to probably, you know, post this, but we'll see. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the show. I hope it was meaningful and educational in any way, shape or form. And I hope that uh, I hope that, you know, you folks will reach out to me. Let me know what you think. Let me know what you're thinking about, what kind of topics I should be uh, discussing what kind of guests I should be having on, etc. Um, please let me know. Uh, otherwise, I'm just going to keep recording episodes and then not posting them because it's not seeming like anyone really. Uh, I mean, people are engaging with the content, but they're not like engaging, you know. And it's cool to be able to see the numbers or whatever climbing. But I think more than anything, it's like a negative thing because it's going to build up an ego in me. And on top of that, it's not actually helping me because now you just got people that are just listening to this. But nobody's calling me out for the shit that I'm saying wrong. Nobody's, you know, trying to correct the things that I'm doing incorrectly. Nobody's nobody's helping me along. Not that it's anybody's, quote, you know, job, but I would expect that, you know, folks understand that I'm just a person who reads books. And so I'm trying to learn these things so that I can pass them on to anybody else who wants to learn them. But at the end of the day, it's not good that I pass on misinformation. It's not good if I pass on a bad take. It's not good if I leave out, you know, some kind of important uh, message that, you know, could be uh, the bow on top. But in fact, I, I don't have it in me or I don't know it or I don't I don't see it clearly enough. I don't, you know, recognize that that should be a part of the conversation. And so if people aren't calling me out about that, that shit's not going to change. The show's not going to get better and I'm not going to learn myself and neither of you. So if you want to see this show improve, if you want to keep learning along with me, please reach out, engage, show your friends the content, tell them to message me and tell me my show sucks and this is why it's all wrong because not for nothing that's the only thing that's going to make this shit better is when people say what is wrong with it Um, 
But anyways, thank you for listening, folks. I hope you're well. Stay safe, stay healthy, stay revolutionary, and have a happy holidays. We'll see you soon. Bye.